and welcome to the Minnesota Nice Podcast on the Daily Gopher. I'm Chris, go AU Fur. With me this week is Brady Feaster. He is the football beat writer for the Miami Student. Welcome, Brady. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely excited to talk football. Glad it's football season. It's the best time of the year, that's for sure. I know. My my favorite time of the year, too. I I always feel bad because summer, I love summer, but then, you know, the closer you get to September, I'm like, ah, we can just put summer away and, and give me some football. Absolutely. I'll take it. All right. So Miami has been a team that obviously I live in Cincinnati, so I'm sort of familiar with, but I realized over the last couple of years I haven't been watching as closely. Um, just that's how things have gone. Um, can you kind of just walk me through real quick? Uh, what's what's Miami football all about right now? What what should we know at a high level about Miami football? So Miami football, uh, to start, the culture is set by Chuck Martin. He is in his fifth year as head coach of Miami football. He came over after being the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame. He was the OC under Brian Kelly when they went to the national championship game. That was the Everett Golson Manti Teo year where they were defeated by by Alabama in the national championship game. Um, So Chuck came in to a program five years ago that was struggling, that was struggling to win a game um, and steadily has made progress. Two years ago, Miami started the year 0-6. They rattled off six straight wins to go to 6-6 and played Mississippi State in a bowl game. That's been the apex of his career thus far at Miami. Uh, last year, Miami was 5-7. and seven. This year, they've gotten off to an 0-2 start. And as from the rebuild standpoint, Chuck Martin has done an excellent job of recruiting the right type of players to win Matt games here in Oxford. Uh, never have I felt in my two years covering Miami uh, during a conference game or about half of our non-conference games was Miami ever overmatched talent-wise on the other side. However, these past two years, the Red Hawks have had lots of issues winning those close games, winning the one-possession games, winning the games that come down to making a play here or making a play there. That's really been the MO of Miami, and that's prevented them from going to a average MAC team to a team that is able to go to Detroit year in and year out and compete for MAC championships. So at this point, would you say that you think uh, he's on the hot seat with starting out 0-2 this season, or does he have a little bit kind of a longer leash still? See, that's an interesting question. I think that would depend on who you ask. I have heard rumblings that there are people high up, some movers and shakers within the Miami community that there is a lot of displeasure with what is going on uh, uh, with the football program, with what Chuck Martin is doing. Uh, This was really, uh, last week was a big indicator of that. We played uh, University of Cincinnati, our in-state rivals, just 45 minutes down the road. And uh, UC got the better of Miami for the 13th straight year. Chuck Martin is 0-5 against the University of Cincinnati. And he's also 0-4 thus far against Ohio University, which is Miami's other big rival. So right now, he's 0-9 against his rivals in his time at Miami. So that's got some people pretty unhappy. No one at Miami really likes UC. For sure, no one at Miami likes OU. 
you got to win those games if you want to keep a job around here. And this is a place where a couple decades ago, Miami football had a very, very strong presence uh, on the college football scene. They were the Boise State before there was Boise State. They were cranking out coaches. It's called the cradle of coaches because, you know, before Eric Parsegian went on to Notre Dame, he coached at Miami. Same with Bo Schembechler, Woody Hayes. All sorts of coaches came through Miami. There's rich football history here. There's lots of alums. There's lots of fans that care about what goes on here for a Mac school. And right now, lots of people believe that Chuck Martin's just not getting it done. Yeah, I've been a uh, Minnesota fans can uh, can speak with experience from being on the wrong side of lopsided rivalry streaks, and it doesn't make anybody happy. <laughs> it gets no. really ugly. It is. It is. And, you know, for, for both programs, you know, you see, you know, 13 straight years, obviously they're not complaining about that. But for a rivalry game to really be a rivalry, it's fun when there's some give and take, when there, there adds a little bit of more intrigue when it goes back and forth. And the same with OU and the OU rivalry means even more because both teams are in the MAC. Uh, that usually has a lot of implications for who will represent the MAC East in Detroit for the MAC championship game. So it's frustrating, especially because the talent is there and there seems to be a culture uh, around Miami football right now that when it comes down to the clutch, the Red Hawks aren't going to make the play. And that's frustrating to watch. And there's lots of people that are very, very impatient at this point uh, and, and probably would like to see a change. Well, so kind of getting into that they're not making the play sort of issue is it at this point clearly a deficiency in coaching they're either making really poor coaching decisions late in games or the actual schematic choices are just not the right ones given the situation or is it um just kind of you've got the talent but the players are making bonehead mistakes like help me out what's kind of going on with the inability to get over the hump Yeah, so really, in my mind, and from watching practice and watching games, there seems to be a cultural issue where Miami players go into games hoping not to lose instead of expecting to win. And this really started last year. In 2017, Miami was coming off a bowl game for the first time, and I think it was four or five years, and there was high expectations. Cincinnati came here to to Jaeger Stadium, and they, um, uh, there was Miami was up by four points with a minute and a half left. They had the ball at their own seven yard line, and uh, third and six. Gus Ragland, the quarterback, dropped back to pass. Cincinnati picked it off, took it to the house with a minute and a half left. That was the ball game, uh, and that really set the tone for the rest of 2017, where games against Bowling Green, Miami had bonehead fumbles. Against Kent State, they had uh, missed field goals against OU. They had excessive penalties. So it's never the same thing every single time. But it just seems that they they find ways to lose games that they really need to win if they want to take this program to the next level. And that's carried over into this year. Against Marshall Week 1, Miami was fourth in goal from the Marshall 2-yard line. And they didn't get it. They end up losing by a touchdown. They're missing out on the opportunities they need. Uh, in the same way, last week, there was a dropped 
touchdown pass. There was another wide open pass down the middle that easily could have gone for six that was overthrown. There is a missed fumble recovery and interception deep in enemy territory. All things that need to be eliminated if Miami is going to uh, take their program to that next step. And in my mind, a lot of that comes down to coaching. The coach, the coaching staff sets the culture. They set the expectation of where the team should be in their mindset. Uh, and I'm just not seeing a ton of confidence from from the players uh, at this point. Yeah, that's you, something you said right at the beginning about the mentality of uh, not they're, they're not expecting to win. They're hoping not to lose. Um, just jumped out at me because that's actually something that Minnesota head coach uh, P.J. Fleck, he uses almost that exact wording to describe the kind of change he likes to see in his teams where year one it's uh, wanting to win um, but not expecting to win um, or hoping not to lose instead of expecting to win. And that's, he calls that out. He called that out quite a bit actually in the off season. So that's a, uh, a mindset that I think Gopher fans who are well versed in their fleckisms, because <laughs> uh, he's got a lot of them. Uh, Absolutely, uh, they they're, they should be pretty familiar with that. So that that makes a lot of sense, and certainly would be very frustrating to be on your side of it. Um, all right, so let's just hypothetical uh, assume nothing nothing bonehead happens for y'all uh, on uh, Saturday afternoon. Walk me through on the offense. You guys seem to be really pass heavy. So what? Who's uh? What? What are the talented pieces of the offense that, if things are clicking and and being executed, that uh, th- there are the players that Gopher fans need to watch for? Well, something you have to understand about the Chuck Martin offense is he at times seems more preoccupied with dominating time of possession than putting more points on the board. And he likes to do that through a balanced run-pass attack, something that, honestly, the Red Hawks have had very little success in doing thus far this year. If you look at Week 1 against Marshall, the Hawks were put in a quick 14 to nothing hole, and they were at, at one point down 28-7 in the third quarter. When you're down three touchdowns in the second half, you can't really worry about time of possession. Um, and so they had to throw the ball around a lot. Last week was a little bit of an anomaly, I think, because I think Gus Ragland dropped back 40 times, 40 plus times, to throw the football. That's not something Chuck Martin likes to do, especially given the rainy conditions that the Red Hawks faced week two. Um, As far as a personnel standpoint goes, Gus Ragland is the quarterback. He's a third-year starter. The coaching staff really likes him. They have a lot of confidence in him. He is, I'd say, an upper-tier Mid-American Conference quarterback. He is not, however, someone who is going to single-handedly beat a team. He needs a stable of running backs behind him. He needs good receivers around him to make him a good quarterback. And from the receiving standpoint, he has one really good one. 81, James Gardner, 6'4", 215, somewhere in that, in that range is is the frame that Gardner has. He knows how to use his body. They love throwing the ball in his direction. He's about as good at coming down with a 50-50 ball as anyone in the country. He is for sure Miami's top offensive weapon. So no matter if you're playing in the MAC or the Big Ten or Notre Dame, 
James Gardner is going to cause problems. Last year when Miami went up to South Bend, James Gardner had two touchdown passes on deep balls on 50-50 balls. He's just tough to guard because he knows how to use his body. Additionally, on the offensive side of the ball, Alonzo Smith and Kenny Young are the running backs. They have not been able to get going out of the backfield, uh, out of the shoot this year, and I know that's something that the offensive staff uh, is frustrated with. Uh, and, I, and I honestly don't expect that to get rolling here going up to Minneapolis uh, uh, this this Saturday as well, given the caliber of an opponent that we are facing. I think Minnesota uh, is probably the best opponent that we've that Miami has faced thus far uh, in the 2018 campaign. Uh, outside of Gardner, um, there, there definitely are some weapons. I still think they're trying to figure out how to get all of their players into the fold consistently to have a well-balanced attack, and uh, they're going to need to do that uh, this week specifically if they have any chance of coming out coming out of Minnesota with a win. So, is it has it been entirely a function of playing from behind that's made them so pass centric? Because I mean, if I when I looked at the stats, it was like something like sixty eight percent of the. Um, it was basically a, like almost a 66-33 kind of two-thirds passing heavy, and I honestly thought that was like the actual choice because um, it was just so skewed. Has it, has it been solely playing behind, or have the running backs just been struggling, offensive line struggling in run blocking, anything like that? Well, the, the defensive lines of Marshall and Cincinnati have been very solid, uh, and that combined with playing from behind, I think Chuck would – he usually – he likes to throw the ball around, but when he plays from behind, he can't run the ball as much as he'd like. Uh, I think ideally he would like to be somewhere in the 60-40 range, favoring the pass. Um, but I think that extra couple percentages um, that are favoring the pass are a combination of playing from behind and the offensive line struggling to get any sort of um, dominance uh, at the at the defensive lines that they've been playing. Okay. Uh, for the Gophers, it's really been a, a struggle uh, in the run game. Our offensive line is not getting a lot of push. They're not opening up good holes. Um, our number one running back went down with a season-ending knee injury uh, against Fresno State, so we're actually working off of our, uh, well, possibly as low as four string, although he seems, tal- uh, seems pretty tal- uh, talented. Running back. Um, at this point, I think a big worry for Gopher fans is when we face teams that have strong front sevens, that could be a real problem for our offense. How does Miami stack up in their front seven? And is it something that is a strength for them, or is Minnesota going to be able to have some sex- success even with, you know, kind of a, a more limited attack right now? I think the, the strength of Miami's defense are their two linebackers, senior linebackers. Brad Koenig and Junior McMullen. They are fast. They are the captains of the defense, uh, and, and they're instinctive football players. Last week, University of Cincinnati ran the ball 50 times. Um, and for the most part, I think I think Miami did a pretty solid job guarding that run-heavy attack. And this is the same Cincinnati squad that went into the Rose Bowl week one and absolutely demolished UCLA from a physical standpoint up front. 
and so I think Miami did a pretty decent job of holding their own. Uh, and so I'd say from a defensive standpoint, linebackers are the strength. The defensive line, especially going up against the Big Ten offensive line, I'm not sure is going to be able to get a ton of push. Doug Costin, interior defensive lineman, is probably the strong suit of those front four uh, just by his athleticism, his size. He, if anyone will be able to cause problems for the Minnesota offensive line. But besides that, from a running perspective, you got to watch out for Koenig and McMullen. Okay. Is your secondary very uh, experienced um, or, at all? Ex- experienced, um, yes and no. Miami had to replace two starters, a safety and a cornerback from last season. Um, they have a whole stable of defensive backs that have been vying for playing time. Uh, at the cornerback position, I'd say their most um, their most polished corner at this time is a guy by the name of Zedrick Raymond. Zedrick came to Miami this season as a junior college transfer from Independence Community College, and if that name sounds familiar, uh, it probably is because that's the school that is profiled in season three of the Netflix original Last Chance You. So oh yeah, Zed has been Zed's been a uh, he's a product of uh, ICC and uh, of coach Jason Brown. And um, so it's been, it's been fun seeing him coming to, to Miami and compete. And he's done a good job for the Red Hawks uh, manning, manning, uh, manning up on some pretty, pretty solid receivers. Uh, and then in the backfield, uh, DeAndre Montgomery uh, is also, uh, also a pretty solid safety. He will come into the box to defend the run uh, as well. Completely off topic for the game on Saturday. Did you have a chance to talk to him about if Jason Brown is really as, uh, like, what his thoughts were on Jason Brown? <laughs> yeah, I did. I It was funny. I was watching Last Chance U early August. It was the night before I was going to head up to Oxford and catch a practice and write a story on it. And I, I just started season three. I was watching the first episode on Independence and they're going through a team meeting and the camera pans around and I, I pause and I see this guy who looks really familiar. And then I remember, wait a second, that's Zedrick Raymond, who I had a sports leadership class with the first semester um, or, or the semester before he was he, he transferred and and was at Miami for the spring semester of 2018. And so I texted our, our sports information director that night and said, hey, I just saw just saw Zed on on Last Chance U and a chance I could do a story on him, and I was able to able to catch him after the after practice and interview him. And in his words, he said that um, season three was much more filtered than the first two seasons, and I think he meant as far as the overall poor conditions uh, of that junior college as well as uh, the antics of Coach Brown. It sounds like. He is every bit as intimidating, every bit as intense as the show portrays him, if not more. <laughs> yeah, as I watched, I kept I kept just kind of bouncing back and forth between, all right, this guy totally has a plan for how to relate to his players to what the hell, how is he making that call in the game? He's an idiot. Like I just couldn't <laughs> I couldn't come down on like how I felt about him by the end of it. He's an interesting figure because um, of where he comes from and his background is obviously unique, but that gives him a level of relatability 
And so you'd think he'd be a really good player's coach, but then at the same time, if one of his players crosses him, he tries to get in a fight with him, it seems like. So he's just really an interesting character. So, you know, but that's why it's, it makes good reality TV. Oh, it's fantastic reality TV. That's a must-watch for me every time it comes out every summer to, to, to just binge that straight through pretty much. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's good stuff. So, and it's, it's cool being able to talk to someone and see someone around campus who, who lived that life. And, you know, now he's at, at, uh, Miami and whether he goes on to play football at the next level or not, he's getting a degree that's really going to set him up to, uh, you know, be successful, uh, after football. For sure. Uh, all right. Predictions. Um, what do you think happens on Saturday? How do you think, uh, it all goes down? You know, typically, I'm pretty optimistic in, in the team I cover, in this case, the Miami Red Hawks. Um, I, I've always been an optimist. Uh, even as a Cincinnati sports fan, it's hard to do when you, <laughs> when you follow the Reds and when you follow the Bengals. And when we, we played UC last week at Paul Brown Stadium, I was hoping that all the bad Bengal luck would land on the side of UC, but apparently it landed on the side of Miami it's really been it's been tough to be optimistic as a Red Hawk fan these past two years. Uh, ESPN actually just came out with the ranking system of the happiest fan bases in FBS. Number one was Cincinnati, and number one thirty out of one thirty was Miami. And I'm feeling the effects of that as well. Uh, I think what happens on Saturday is uh, Minnesota comes out; they're able to assert themselves as a more dominant team athletically, uh, physically. I think Fleck having some familiarity with Chuck Martin uh, from coaching against him in the MAC for a couple years gives him the advantage because he has the talent advantage being at Minnesota. Miami might be able to put some points on the board, make a couple stops. I'm not sure that it's an absolute blowout, but I don't really think there will be any point in the game where Minnesota fans are really sweating it like Purdue fans were last year, last week uh, against the MAC team when Eastern Michigan went to West Lafayette and uh, was able to pull that off. You know, uh, I think it would be I would be very surprised given how the season has gone so far. Score prediction: I'd say it's it's probably we're probably looking at somewhere somewhere around 35-14 Gophers win, uh, and, and the Red Hawks move to 0 three, and Chuck Martin's seat gets just a little bit hotter. I mean, I'm not going to fight you if that's what happens. That uh, would make would make me plenty happy. <laughs> Especially again, yeah, we don't need we don't need a Purdue incident. That was no embarrassing. No, I don't think the Big Ten doesn't need that. And uh, but you know, uh, who who knows what can happen? You know, each week's a new week, and there's been some strange things that have happened to Miami. And they were delayed three hours week one. There's torrential downpour at an NFL stadium where they played at last week, and you know this week is obviously unique because they're going all the way up to Minnesota to play a Big Ten team. So, you know, who who knows how they'll respond. I haven't seen any indication that they will respond positively and rise to the occasion, but I could be wrong. So we'll see. I know the team's excited. Uh, it's always great for a MAC team to have the opportunity to come up and play a Big Ten team, and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. All right, so finishing kind of just – Totally off topic here. If uh, anybody listening finds themselves uh, in Oxford for any reason, what is the number one place they should go to grab some food? Bagel and Deli, uh, for me, is definitely the local favorite. Uh, it's the local bagel shop. On any weekend night, 
it will be absolutely packed. It's the local staple. It is the quintessential college town restaurant. If you're in Oxford, you have to get it. Uh, additionally, being from around the Southwest Ohio region, if you've never been here before, whether you're in Oxford, whether you're in Cincinnati or anywhere around there, the obvious place you have to go to is Skyline Chili. It is an experience. You will either love it, you will hate it. I won't blame you if you hate it. But if you are in the Southwest Ohio area, grab a three-way, grab some conies. I'm telling you, it is a cultural experience. I've tried, man. I, I'm I've, sure you have. I've tried. I can't. I can't do it. <laughs> you know what? I. It's one of those things where if you grew up around it, you love it. If you don't. I get it. It's totally unique. I grew up on it every Sunday after church. That were, that's where I would go with my family before Reds games, after high school football games. It's just the place. But if you're in Oxford, specifically Bagel and Deli is your place. Southwest Ohio in general, skyline without a question. Awesome. Brady, thanks so much, man, for uh, for joining us and, and getting us up to speed for what, uh, what we'll see from Miami on Saturday. Absolutely. I really appreciate it. All right, everybody. Uh, if you haven't already, make sure to check out the SkyU podcast that dropped uh, on Tuesday. And in the meantime, go Gophers. SkyU Ma, row the boat.